Hello and welcome to The Lancet Podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, August the 21st. In early September, Athens will be the venue for an international summit to discuss the issues confronting global mental health. And this week's issue of The Lancet, dated August the 22nd to the 28th, will be there, full of content in this complex and poorly understood field. And the Athens meeting will be a renewed opportunity for a discussion about mental health at the global level, not just in westernised societies, building on the Lancet's 2007 series on mental health. Now, I won't attempt to summarise all of this mental health-themed issue. That would be a task too far. Other than signpost a couple of items that caught my attention. A very sobering comment by Peter Tyra of Primary Care to Diagnose Mental Illness not least because of the confusion surrounding the naming of many mental health disorders. On the global mental health theme, two comments give an insight into mental health in Chile and in Indonesia, respectively. Do read the remarkable profile on Arthur Kleinman in the Perspective section, talking about mental health as a moral issue, and to mention a very comprehensive and up-to-date seminar about schizophrenia and a review about paternal psychiatric disorders and the effect that has on children. And many apologies for all the items I have not mentioned. Now, one of the research articles in this Mental Health Issues assesses the potential of online cognitive behavioural therapy in the treatment of mental illness in the primary care setting. Earlier, I spoke to Dr. David Kessler from the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom. David Kessler, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a research article which is looking at online-delivered cognitive behavioural therapy in the presence of a therapist. Can you just give us a bit of background? Two questions, really. In general terms, what are the potential advantages of behavioural therapy or psychotherapy compared to medical treatment of mental illness. Can you also touch on the access problem to cognitive behavioural therapy that seems to be a bit of a current issue? There's good evidence that psychotherapies are of benefit in depression. There's no question about that. And CBT is the psychotherapy with the largest evidence base. That doesn't mean I rule out other psychotherapies. Far from it. But we concentrated on CBT because it has the best evidence base. There's good evidence, too, that in combination with antidepressants, psychotherapies can work very well. So I don't think it's necessarily an either-or thing. However, in head-to-head comparisons of CBT and antidepressant treatments, CBT is as good as treatment with antidepressants. And it may be better. There's some evidence, although it's not too convincing, but it may be better in the long term. Now, that logically, that makes sense because you're teaching people skills which they can carry with them. One would hope that would have a long-term impact. The second question is all about access to psychotherapies. It's very clear that over the last decade or so, there's been an increasing awareness of the need to increase access to psychotherapies, and the government's got a very real commitment to do this. But it's still, implementation of that commitment is still in its early days. And it's really hard to get good quality psychotherapy and there's a wide variation across the country in access to psychotherapy. The advantage of online psychotherapy is it's not limited by your geography. And there are other advantages too, which I'm sure we can talk about. And in terms of the methodology, David, if you could just briefly go through that and, 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 and the study design. And just before we do, I just want to introduce our listeners to, and we're delighted to have with us, uh, Greta McLaughlin, who is a final year medical student at the University of Leeds. Hi. Greta's from Leeds, as I said, my old university, but sadly I was there a lot 
long <laughs> long time before Greta. Greta has a couple of questions too, which is great. But uh, David, just to kick off and, and briefly summarise the design methodology of the current study. It's nice and simple. It's a randomised controlled trial. And we recruited patients from primary care. So GPs identified patients in the consultation as being depressed. These had to be new episodes of depression. The GP would then ask the patient if they were interested in joining a trial of online psychotherapy. If the patient said yes, they'd be randomized either to have usual care and go on a waiting list or to, um, to go straight on and have, as well as their usual GP care, to, to be offered internet psychotherapy. Patients were offered up to 10 appointments of an hour each where they would go online with a the therapist and that would, they would keep the same therapist throughout the trial period, the study period. And they would communicate with them in a way which is really very similar to instant messenger. So you would just type, it, type answers and type response at it almost instantaneously. It's important to distinguish this from the sort of work that's been done on computer programs for depression, which are really forms of self-help. And there's a few of those out there. And they're good. They're useful. But this is different because it's with a real live therapist and it's your therapist and you get to know them over a period of time. Anyway, to come back to the trial methodology, after four months, we, having measured uh, how depressed people were before they started the trial, we then measured again at four months and again at eight months to see how they've gone on. Greta McLaughlin, you have a question, don't you, concerning the methodology? Yes, there's the two different groups that patients are assigned to. They have the online CBT with their usual care, which is obviously what you're looking into. And then there's the usual care with the GP whilst they're on an eight-month waiting list yeah. for this intervention mm -hmm. of the online CBT. Why put the almost control group um, on the eight-month waiting list? Why not just have them with no sort of connection to the CBT at all? We thought it would improve recruitment. Okay. We recognise that... It is difficult to recruit patients from primary care into depression trials, and we wanted to have something to offer people. We felt better about saying to patients coming into the trial, look, even if you don't get it straight away, you still will be offered something at eight months. And I think that's encouraging for people. Um, and the eight-month waiting list is not unrealistic in, uh, in, in terms of certainly what's available in my locality. So we thought uh, that was a reasonable thing to do. Moving on to the key findings, can you, can you discuss these? They seem obviously looking at results both at four months and at eight months. What we did with the two groups is we, we made sure that they were pretty equal in as many ways as we could in terms of age distribution, in terms of the male-female distribution, in terms of how severe the depression was at the outset. And I'd just like to point out at this stage that somewhat to our surprise, over two-thirds of the patients in both groups recruited into the study were categorized as having severe symptoms of depression at the outset. By the time of the four-month follow-up, if you were in the group that got online CBT, you were roughly two and a half times more likely to have recovered from your depression than if you were in the usual care group. So that's the headline result, really. That sort of improvement rate was maintained at eight months and there were also improvements in what we call functional status that is you know how you felt about how you were doing in your life in general and in quality of life 
as well. And can you offer some explanation for why you got this clear benefit from the, the group given CBT? I think we know already from a number of studies that CBT works. It's a benefit in depression. I think what we've found out here is that you can do it online and it's still very effective. And I think that's the point of the study, if you want, if you, if you want a single point. You, you can offer psychotherapy through instant messaging. You can offer it online. It is very effective. It's effective in depression of moderate and severe, moderately severe depression and severe depression, and in patients recruited from primary care. The result was not unexpected in terms of the effect of, of um, CBT. The real point here is hmm. the way in which the CBT is delivered. Yeah, it makes us think there may be something about this intervention, about this way of treating people that's particularly good. We have to consider that as a possibility. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what is that? Yeah, and Greta, you've got, you've got a question here. As you said, this is um, sort of a like the instant messenger. Do you think there's scope in the future for involving... A, a video-based, so maybe Skype-type medium as well, because I don't know how much from a therapist's point of view, but body language and mood congruency sort of plays a part in helping with CBT. Absolutely. I think that's, that's really a, a good question. I felt as we were doing the study that once we were well into it, I was kicking myself that we didn't do it on Skype, and I think that would be a good thing to do. That's going to come. But I would make a couple of points. I would come back to what I was just saying for a second. I said there might be something particularly good about this therapy, might, might make it particularly effective, about this mode of delivery of therapy. What could it possibly be? Well, one of the things about it is you've got to write things down. And when you write, you reflect. You have to pause and reflect, and you do a bit of editing. And that's different from talking, as we would all acknowledge. And I think that may help people. The second thing is there is some good evidence that just writing about traumatic events helps people get over them. So there's something there about writing. Another point, if we think back to the original psychoanalysts, Freud and so on, they had quite a definite thing about not making eye contact with people. So maybe there's something about the, not I would say anonymity of the therapy, but about the not making eye contact, which some people find helpful. We don't really know why it's so effective, other than it's 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 good CBT. But we, we, we have to speculate. We can speculate a little bit. What are the implications here for the way therapy is given, particularly at primary care? I mean, it's all, like all these things, it's, it's wonderful to, to find these things out. But yeah. un unless they're ever going to become implemented and made available, then they remain in the ivory tower, don't they? Well, we've talked about increasing access to psychotherapy. And the, I think that's generally recognized that that's an important thing to do. I think we should say here that this is a therapy that could be particularly suitable for certain groups. It could be for people who are housebound. It could be useful for people for whom English is not their mother tongue. You could access therapists all over the world using this method, and there's no reason why you shouldn't. It could be for people in difficult-to-reach geographical locations. So I think there's a real service implication here, and there's no reason why this shouldn't be picked up quickly. There's organizations out there supplying this sort of therapy, and it would be easy to organize it under the aegis of the NHS as well. So I think there's real pragmatic... Uh, implications here. It also can be done out of hours reasonably easily. And finally, it might even be cheaper. I mean, overheads are less if you're doing it from home. It's a very interesting study. Dr. David Kessler on the line from Bristol and Greta McLaughlin here in the studio with me, Richard Lane. Thanks all very much indeed for the discussion. Thank you. And do look out for the comment alongside this research article by authors from Seattle in the United States. Well, that's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.